You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. So I've decided that this thing that I have that I've been struggling with for the last couple of days, this illness that I have, like 90%. This thing where your lungs are are coming up through your, your esophagus. Yeah, 90% of the South Side has it. Everybody has it. Everybody I talk to on the phone, are like, how you doing this week? I'm like, oh, I got this thing. And I'm like, you know, it's like nothing but mucinex and Dayquil I'm taking. Like, I'm just trying to, like, get through. Like, I don't, no fever, just, like, constantly losing my voice in and out, everything like that. And everybody I talk to is like, yeah, yeah, I got the same thing. Like, you know, it's it's more contagious than COVID, I think. Like, the entire South Side is walking around with some cold that's just, like, moving through. And like I said on the last show, the children brought it to us. Now all the adults have it. You know, yeah, and, and then, somewhere, somewhere, there's a like a second grader from the north side tenting his fingers and going, <laughs> "My plan has worked perfectly." <laughs> <laughs> it's awful. It, it's not as bad as what was going on at the GM meetings, where uh, well, they had to well, cut them short that. because everybody was pooping themselves, like all the yeah. general managers, and, it, and they had, they thought it was food poisoning, and it turns out it was like there's something there. So that's the next wave of things. Hopefully, we get that after Thanksgiving. And here before. we thought Rick Hahn was gone. <laughs> It's all Rick Hod. Rick Hod's so upset that he is he that's what he's done now. He's moved into sabotaging the GM meetings with, with whatever he's We, we have no way place. of backing that up and no basis for that to be true, but it sounds like fun. Uh, we're gonna get into the GM meetings. We're gonna talk about that. I wanna get into Bonetti as well. Uh, but I also want to let you know things have uh, been updated over there in the off season at Cork and Carry at the park, our proud sponsors. Uh, first off, they're off now on Monday, so the two for one award winning hamburger day is on Tuesdays now over at 33rd in Princeton uh, in the shadow of the ballpark, the official home of Socks in the Basement. Go see Gino. He is the new bartender over there, and he's going to hook you up with the two-for-one uh, on Tuesdays in the offseason. And then this week, Cork and Carry at the Park weekly specials, half-acre Daisy Cutter cans, four bucks, Bush Light, two bucks a can. Uh, and also they got some comfort food uh, this week, 12 bucks for the weekend specials, meatloaf dinner and fried chicken platter. And the weekly whiskey and bourbon feature is horse soldier bourbon. Go check it out. And then don't forget about Cork and Carry Beverly, 106th and Western. Uh, when you get those warmer days, we're getting this up and down weather right now. That outdoor patio is great to watch a game at. They also have great TVs inside, and it's an amazing Irish pub. So go and check out both locations and see more at corkandcarry.com. All right, let's get into the Benetti thing first, because I predicted this was going to happen. Well, yeah, I, I think you and I have, have kind of seen some of this coming you know, maybe not him going to the Tigers, although that I think is just a fun little slap in the face to the White Sox organization. <laughs> it is, but, isn't it? But the, the, you know, the idea that Jason Benetti was not long for the Chicago White Sox TV booth, I, I wasn't shocked when I, I got the text message from a friend of mine. Um, you know, who this guy, of course, is always like, "Bring back Hawk," and uh, no, I don't think we need to go there. But but yeah, seeing Jason Benetti leave, I. I was not surprised. I think the only thing that surprised me, like I said, was is that he was going to 
be the voice of another major league baseball team. I thought for sure if he was going to leave, it was going to end up being something where like he's just committed to the national stuff. Like ESPN said, you're you're the voice of whatever we want to put you on, and we're just going to make you you know there. Fox Sports would do the same thing, but the fact that he went to the Tigers, I I don't know. I mean that. It, it just the logic still follows for me because you and I have seen some of this before in our own lives and, you know, let alone, you know, what we know of kind of how things work at 35th and Shields. Listen, I did. I did what Bonetti did. I, I was in radio in California, in Bakersfield, California. A good friend of ours was actually the program director. Every time I bring it up, he just winces because he because it, it, it went it went poorly and we're still friends. But at the time, woo-hoo, it was rough. Right. And we're out in Bakersfield, California, and I'm the morning guy. And there were there were some promises made. And when it came time for like the the contract, uh, it didn't happen. And I basically was told I could eat a crap sandwich, or I could just leave, because I had to either take the contract, or I was out. And it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the opportune time to find the next thing I was going to go and do. And so I took the crap sandwich, but I knew right away I was leaving. But Eddie had those issues with them the last time he had to sign his deal. He he did an interview where you could tell he was upset. We talked about it on the show. But, you know, he probably didn't have exactly what he wanted, so he sat back, he bided his time, he did the past season, and he waited for the right opportunity. I understand why he wants to be a baseball announcer. If I were given the choice of any job in the world, it would be play-by-play, for a baseball team, even oh, if it was even if it was minor leagues, all right, hundred percent. I mean, 100, that, I, you and I agree on very little sometimes, but that is one thing I think you and I are completely on lockstep in. It's my absolute dream job. It, it, it is it is all I ever wanted to do. I've gotten to fill in once or twice in my life. Mister Boyer, are you listening? Because he's he's basically putting this out there no, as his no, resume. No. They, right they're now, they're not going to take me over at the White Sox. They're not going to take me. I want to go to Crestwood and be at Ozinga Field. That's what I want to do. Like that would be a oh, blast, okay. right? It's right in the neighborhood. It's nearby the house. I would go do that. All right. I mean, I would just, I would just love the opportunity. Just as I would go and try out, just to prove. Okay. That you I know, could do most it. psychologists say playing hard to get doesn't work too hard. So if you're trying to get the White Sox <laughs> job, don't do it this way. <laughs> anyway, but I mean, like that's the job, right? Like that's that's like the the pinnacle of any broadcaster's career to go and sit in the sun and watch the greatest game in the world and do play by play, and you get the opportunity to not only call the game, but to paint the picture you want to paint. There's a reason why Len Casper wants to do it on radio, because radio is different from TV. And, and to be honest with you, I'd, I probably would enjoy the radio one more than I would like the television one just like Len would, because he gets to describe every aspect of what's going on and the inflection of his voice and how he delivers what he's delivering. The fan listening gets the picture he provides. You're a storyteller. And if you're going to be a broadcaster, that's what you want to be. You want to be a storyteller. So You I, want to be Vin Scully to a certain degree. You do. I mean, exactly. You want to be Vin Scully. I mean, one of the more fun things that I ever got to do in the last couple of years, and it was so silly at the time, is when, when, when baseball was gone during the pandemic and we had no content on this show, and you can go find it on demand. I mean, they're all still there. I did a whole baseball season on this show. I hooked up the, the the PlayStation and I put on MLB the show and I turned off all the announcer thing and I would make some managerial decisions, but I called each game every day 
And we had people that would reach out and be like, man, I sit in the backyard and I start yelling at the White Sox for that stupid move they did in the seventh inning. And my wife's like, I didn't think they were playing baseball because people would forget while they were listening to the game that it wasn't a real game. And we had so much fun doing it while we were doing it. But I, I, I loved doing that. It's just so much fun to do. And it's a stupid thing because it wasn't even a real game. But I get Jason Benetti's love for it. He came on the show before and he talked about how much he loved doing it. Oh, absolutely. And he was a White Sox fan. And that's the thing that sticks out to me. He was a Southsider. His dream job was to call White Sox games. Because that would be my dream job. My dream job like, I say my dream job is for any baseball team. Yeah, because I just don't believe I'd ever get the White Sox job, right? I mean, I'm a podcaster. But, but I mean, like, yeah, the absolute pinnacle would be for the Chicago White Sox. And he had it. And trust me, if he was happy there, it's got nothing to do with the money. He's making plenty being a national broadcaster. It clearly was untenable inside of the building. There was clearly a reason why he left. They didn't fire him. He left. And so that right there, another thing, I mean, this, this, this organization, sometimes you just hear the carnival music in the background. You have a highly respected guy and I get that not everybody likes him. Like my dad was on the phone and he was like, well, you know, I'm not really that torn up about it. I mean, it used to drive me nuts that in April, he'd be sitting there telling you how many games back you were. And that was annoying, right? Like who cares about the out of town scoreboard? Well, and, and everybody's got their, everybody's got their, their, their ticks, their quirks, and right. Their ticks, yeah. right? I mean, he wasn't the greatest broadcaster ever. There were things about him that you'd be like, ah, come on, Jason. Like, what are you doing? I mean, there's things about me and what I do that people are like, ah, knock it off, Chris. There's things about you. There's things about all of us while we while we sit in front of a microphone. Anybody who sits in front of a microphone, there's something. I mean, how many times did you call me out for saying the Sox have to fill a hole? Yeah, it's like constant. I have to edit it out. He says it like 12 times a show, folks. Like one of these days, I'll leave them all in. And it's obnoxious when he doesn't. But it, but, <laughs> but we'll warn you in advance and you can sit and have a, you know, have some sort of a game off Drinking of it. game. That yeah. every time well, I was going to say that necessarily because I don't want to be responsible for how drunk everyone's going to get for me saying they got to fill a hole. Right. You've already said it twice. You, you, you're, I know. You're already going. So, but I mean, but that's the thing. Like, I know that he wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but he was an accomplished broadcaster. And when people ask me, well, who do you think they should bring in next? Well, it better be a broadcaster because I've said it before and I'll say it again. And I said it with Benetti when he was on this show years ago. I, you need to have a person who specializes in actually telling that story. And giving out the information and knowing when to be quiet on TV. That's the, when it's TV and the pictures are telling the story better to know when you don't need to say as much and to know when you need to say something and, and to know when it's time for your commentary and to know when it's time for you just to tell the story and let the other person, the people that are watching understand what's going on. And you need a professional broadcaster. And I thought Ed Farmer was a really great guy. And I met Ed a couple of times. And he did a good job towards the end when he finally was starting to figure out what was going on. But there was a big difference between John Rooney doing the radio calls. With Ed Farmer, you know, doing the color stuff. Right. Then when Ed Farmer was doing the the radio call. like oh, I always listen, used to... listen to DJ do, you know, when he's done play by play. I don't mind him sitting there filling in with Len and, and talking with, with Len Casper. And I, and I, I never minded DJ on some of the national broadcasts I've seen him on, but when he does play by play, he's just, it's just not what he does. No, you need an expert when you're doing that. Just like you need an expert when you're getting exterior windows, doors, patio doors, and storm doors put in window and door, superstore of Oak forest, uh, no high pressure sales are not in your kitchen. 
Uh, you're in their showroom. You got full examples, glass designs on display, uh, no pictures in a book. See it in person with the owner in the showroom, owner on site, and their own workers. They're not farming it out. You're going to get everything done right. They've been doing it that way for 40 years. All major brands, custom made, no stock items for a perfect fit. Stop in and see them today. Your first and last stop. Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest, half block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. You need to have an expert. And I hope that's what they bring in there. You know, the, the Ed Farmer call of the Paul Canerco home run in 05 was because he gets an inning and it was, it's spectacular to listen to in its simplicity, but the John Rooney call of the last out of the world series would have been very different if Ed would have done it. And I'm not picking on Ed. I'm just trying to say that when you bring in, I mean, I could say the same thing about Hawk when he would get angry and he wouldn't talk. Right. The, For like the, three the, innings. Right. Ex- exactly. Like, like the former, the former athlete is very good at insights into what is going on in the game. The professional broadcaster is best at describing it. When John Rooney called the last out of the 2005 World Series, it was ground ball up the middle over the head of Jinks. Uribe over with the throw out, out. The White Sox winner and the a White Sox winner in a World Championship. The White Sox have won the 2005 World Series and they're mobbing each other on the field. If it would have been Ed Farmer. His call of the Canerco home run was, you know, that was basically Sox lead, 6-4, light it up. But it was very short. It wasn't as descriptive, right? His call that last out would have been ground ball, pin a star on it, Sox win. That's what it would have been, right? Which sounds like what Ed Farmer and it would have been okay. And, and, and the thing is, it again, I'm not besmirching the man. He was a lovely man, and he was very good, and he got better as he got older in the booth. Okay? Uh, his, that was at his, the beginning yeah. when he was just a color commentator. But the thing is, is that I hope they bring in a professional broadcaster because a professional broadcaster is just better. You connect with the professional broadcaster. You connect with the team that's up there in the booth. And so they need to find a new voice, and you hope that that new voice is going to be there for a long time. But, you know, what faith do you have in the organization? You know, they, they obviously screwed this up. Long time ago, they screwed up with Nancy Faust, who should still be out there at the ballpark, right? There's a lot of screw-ups that have happened in the last 20 years. Not everybody that needs to be cleared out of that building has been cleared out of that building. No, and you're right about them needing an expert. The thing that's going to be problematic for this year is that, not that the games don't start for quite a long time, but you're probably not poaching from some other team at this point. You are going to have to sort of rush around to figure this out. But the other thing, too, is is that you have Steve Stone, who, because of his age and stuff, does not do every game anymore. He's not a constant. There's sometimes a rotation of, of guys that are coming through the color. And it's going to be a different booth a lot during the season. So for, for Sox fans, we're just going to have to get used to it, probably, of – not only breaking in a new voice that we're going to have to try and identify with, but also trying to, you know, just having a very different feel throughout it. Whereas we had at least gotten used to when it's Jason Benetti and, you know, Bill Walton, for God's sakes, you know, we knew what we were getting into for that weekend. But if it was Jason Benetti and Mike Huff was filling in because Steve Stone was on vacation, taking a break, you know, that, that, that type of thing, I think it's going to take some, some, work for us to kind of warm up to a new guy a little bit just because of that the other thing is i all you need to know about this is listen to jason benetti give his interview and he does not look like a man who is excited about detroit does not look like a man who's excited about this move he's saying all the right things but this was somebody who was leaving his hometown team and also he had a really great relationship with steve stone right 
So that in and of itself is something where you know that this is kind of a, a thing where the White Sox mishandled it somehow, right? And and so now, now we're left with, okay, let's hope that Chris Getz doesn't mishandle the roster. He doesn't like it. We know he doesn't like it, but let's see how he handles it. The Sox Nerd is brought to you by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure. Visit the Village of Lamont, shop, dine, drink, explore, and see everything they have going on this weekend and beyond at lamontdowntown.com. Village of Lamont actually has a brand new book out about the history of it, uh, and that is featured this week on Southside Pod on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. Nerd, what do you got for me this week? Chris, our alphabetical review of the 2023 White Sox rolls on. Let's resume with Eloy Jimenez. While I did hear you loud and clear on this subject on the last pod, maybe right field isn't such a bad idea for our boy Eloy. Jimenez played the only 14 games of his career in right in 2023, and he thrived. Playing the position between April 18th and July 16th, Eloy slashed 327, 382, 633 with four homers and 14 RBIs. Aside from Rami Gonzalez's 364 average in four games, Eloy was the Sox's most productive right fielder in 2023. Oh, and the Sox were 8-6 and six in Eloy's starts in right field. Moving on to Michael Kopech, the right-hander fashioned two epic performances in an otherwise disappointing 2023. On May 19th, he became the sixth Sox pitcher, seventh time overall, to fire at least eight one-hit innings with at least 10 strikeouts. On May 29th, Kopech became the third Sox pitcher to log 10 strikeouts in four and one-third innings or less, joining Carlos Rodon and Dylan Cease on that list. Here's the good help for Kopech in 2024. Next, Corey Lee. If we can extract one positive from Corey Lee's season, it's this. Lee hit 077 in 2023, which isn't as bad as the 071 another Sox rookie catcher, Ron Karkovice, hit in 1987. And Carco turned out okay. Finally, Yoan Moncada. The native of Cuba reached double figures in homers for the fifth time for the 2023 White Sox. Among switch hitters, only Ray Durham at six has more Sox seasons of at least 10 homers than Moncada. Among third basemen, only Robin Ventura at seven and Joe Creedy and Bill Melton at six each have more Sox seasons of at least 10 home runs than Moncada. Before I get to my zinger, I remind you that these gems and others on players like Kelly, Lambert, and Lynn, who did not make this podcast cut, are on my blog, which you can link to at SoxInTheBasement.com. My zinger, last week, it was a Bucky Dent bases loaded walk. This week, how about a gem on a new coach? I see that Jason Bourgeois was recently added to the coaching staff. Did you know Bourgeois was the last White Sox player to hit safely in the old Yankee Stadium? And that occurred on September 18, 2008. For the record, the first Sox player to log a hit in the house that Ruth built was Hall of Famer Eddie Collins on June 5th, 1923. That's it, Chris. Probably more than you wanted to know on right field starts. I know that's a fact. Carco's rookie campaign and third base power. Butch Zemar sitting down here. He's on the broadcast basement on-demand radio network. What's up, buddy? How's it going? Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Uh, you, you're a busy guy right now. you got a lot going on. You're, it's super busy. You're in your busy season. And, and you know, it, it's off-season for the White Sox, and it's uh, it's on-season for Butch. And uh, the main thing you do is help businesses, small and big, 
with their health insurance, right? For sure. And the fourth quarter is usually when the renewals are coming in, they're trying to plan for the new year. And a lot of businesses feel stuck, right? Uh, just stuck with the renewal. They kind of blindly get spreadsheets, uh, comparisons, and they feel like they don't know where to go. And it's the, usually the top three uh, expenses on a expense sheet for a business. How does somebody get your help? 708-535-3006. And then we go through uh, an evaluation we call the Elite Benefits Playbook. All right. And it can get started like... Like right now, right is that now like something is they can do? Perfect, ideal. The, the employees are still going to have health insurance, like when this is all said and done. Absolutely. All right, Butch is my guy. If, if you're either the owner or you're somebody that makes those financial decisions, it's a big cost for anybody that's trying to get it for employees, and yeah, you don't want to ignore that, right? One hundred percent. So Chris Getz doesn't like his team, and I yeah, love it. We're with, we're with you, Chris. Yeah, I don't like it either. But I, I, there are some things that really stood out about his comments at the GM meetings and things that are coming out. And I think the first thing that really stands out is the fact that he wants to go after defense. Defense is such a, a such a cheap thing to go get. In, in Major League right. Baseball right now, it is the thing that you can go get and not spend as much money on. You spend far more money trying to pick up home runs. You spend far more money uh, trying to pick up, uh, you know, high uh, on base percentage, uh, you know, high uh, slugging percentage, uh, high average guys. You you can get defense a little bit cheaper. I don't think I, I don't buy the idea that they're going to drastically reduce their payroll. There was an article put out on MLB Trade Rumors that basically talked about, well, will they reduce the thing? There's wiggle room that he has, and there's money that's freed up. But if you, if you can't increase it, if you're only going to have so much to deal with, and you know that 25 is really your first competitive year, you can address the defense thing a lot easier and lay the foundation. And I think that's what they're doing. I think that's what the plan is here, Ed. What I'm reading is, look, we're not going to go crazy and break the bank. We've got to clear all this money. Like, we got to figure out what we're doing with a lawyer. Are we moving on from him? Is there a trade? we got to get rid of Yoan Moncada. I mean, he's clearly doing that. When you start talking about the versatility of Yoan Moncada, you're already explaining why if the right third baseman comes along either from your own system or you are able to make an acquisition and you got to move him the right field, there's a, there's a reason for it. And you're trying to make him, like, like more versatile so somebody at the, at the trade deadline, if he has a good first half, will sit there and say, we'll eat – the second half money and we'll take and we'll pay the five million dollars to buy him out because I don't think that guy is part of Chris Getz's plans beyond 2024 so th- that's what I'm reading from his comments his comments about Moncada's versatility his comments about going after defense and the idea that they're not going to spend a lot of money and when I read that I go well that's if he's not going to get a lot of money that's probably the most logical place to start right yeah, of course because what can you do with your middle infield position? You now know don't have a starting shortstop because you've you've let Tim Anderson go. You didn't pick up his option. You don't really have a starting second baseman because you ended the year without a starting second baseman because you started the year without one, and you had the middle of the year without one, and that's been going on for several years. So up the middle, sitting there saying, we're going to put a premium on a couple of guys that can really play the field, tells you that, some of the things that we've talked about with what happens when you lose a Tim Anderson off of this team is we are trying to build a bridge to the next round of players. And that's really also, I think, what he's saying too by we're going to focus on defense. Because if you pay a premium for a guy who is an offensive-minded shortstop 
And whether that's in a trade or that's in the free agent market, not that there's really one out there that I would say is like, you know, Corey Seager-esque, but you, if you're paying that premium, you're really saying that this is the guy going forward. This is who I'm going to have penciled in at this position, whether it's second or short. But if you sit there and say, hey, look, we've got this guy and we're going to be really strong up the middle. It's going to help our pitching. It's going to be run prevention. We think he can contribute offensively. What you're really saying is if he sucks, Colson Montgomery will be here at least by 2025, if not a little bit sooner, and don't worry about it, right? And if you're sitting there saying we're going to park Yohan Moncada at second base, we all saw Yohan Moncada as a second baseman. He was an unmitigated disaster. The Hindenburg looks at Yohan Moncada at second base and goes, oh, the humanity. Wallet's <laughs> on fire. All right? He was not good at second base. No, and he and he hit worse. That was remember that. And he hit remember worse that was the second theory? Baseman, yes. If he, we he, move he, him to third, he'll be more involved in the game. I'm like, what does he do at second? Like, what? What? What's going on at second base where he doesn't feel involved in the game and he and he's worse hitting? That was a another crackpot theory that came out of that front that, office. That was yeah, a thing was, that happened. But I mean, even Yon Mankata at first base, for example. Uh, you really what you're sitting there saying is, is if we move Yon Mankata around the diamond a little bit. And the guy that's playing in his, you know, in his stead is a defensive-minded guy. Two things you're doing: one is you're trying to protect a weak pitching staff, and two, you're also sitting there saying this is a bridge to Brian Ramos. And so, w- whether you're bridging to Ramos or you're bridging to Montgomery, or you're you're really just looking at someone, you know, that that might be. You know, we've talked about Ahmed Rosario as being a young guy that's probably more valuable for his middle infield defense in some ways than his bat. His bat is competent, but not overwhelming. Something like that, you sit there and you go, okay, but why do we have this guy here? Well, we have this guy here because if they go into 2025 with a really good defensive second baseman who's your number nine hitter, and they've been able to shore up positions elsewhere and have been able to reallocate funds to build a better lineup, then that guy sitting there, you can sit there and say, all right, you know, we can put up with him because, yeah, he's a whiz in, in the field and he's great defensively and he totally helps the pitching staff and he totally helps and, and whatever he contributes at the bat is great. Where it becomes magnified is when you don't have a hitter behind the plate, when you don't have a hitter in right field, when you don't have a hitter at second, at short, you kind of don't have one at third sometimes, your DH position is, is a rotated mess because you're – Still telling us Gavin Sheets is left-handed thunder when he really isn't. Oh no, I don't think Gavin Sheets makes his team next year. I would hope not. I think I think that Chris gets his comments should make Gavin Sheets nervous. Like I, I, think, I, see, I honestly think Yohan Moncada being mentioned as a first baseman should make Andrew Vaughn a little nervous. Yeah, I think it should as well. But you know, here's the thing: he probably goes out. It like I, I don't know what's going on in the man's head, right? I, again, I continue we, to we assume... We have not been inside Chris Getz's brain, is I what can, you're saying. I continue to assume that he's going to do the right thing because he says the right things, and he hasn't done anything yet that's demonstrated to me that he doesn't get what this team is. I mean, you can continue to yell and scream and rattle sabers and say, well, he was part of this front office for the last seven years. All right, I get that, but when this front office we know was dysfunctional, and we know that the people that made the decisions were Han... Williams and Reinsdorf. Never once was it Getz, right? And when and, and if you look at who he's removed and how he's changed the makeup of his front office, he seems like a guy who was an outsider inside the room. And so you hope well, that look, that's at, look true. at his coaching staff too. I mean, everybody he's brought in, who has he brought in that is a former White Sox player 
that you're sitting there going, it's it's a hometown hire. Who's his Daryl Boston? No, he's bringing in his guys. So you have to believe that he has a philosophy about what he wants to do. So I'm going to operate under that assumption until proven otherwise, because I think it's crazy to sit there and say, oh, he's just a Han guy. No, no, everything he's done from this point shows that he's the opposite of a Han guy. That he sat there and he looked at these people and was like, what is wrong with all of you guys? What, what are we doing here? But he could, what was he going to do, right? He was he was trapped in a situation, and now he's being given an opportunity. That's how I see him. It doesn't mean he's going to he's make the He's the director right... of player development who has all of his first-round picks rushed to the majors within one season. Right, and, and, and doesn't and his, get a chance to do anything. And with his him. assistant has to be the has to be Kenny's kid until he's finally he finally goes. No, nah, I'm not putting up with this anymore. Former football player Kenny's kid. Right, exactly. So, like, look, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and giving him the benefit of the doubt, I would expect him to go after two middle infielders here this offseason. And, and the idea behind going after two of them would be I'm going to short my defense up the middle. I'm not, I'm not a fan of my minor league system. I'm not beholden to any of these guys that didn't work out that have been brought up here. And, and at some point when Colson Montgomery gets here, one of them is going to move into a utility role. So I can go out and sign two guys to longer than one-year deals because they're going to be part of the team in 25, just one of them is going to move into a utility role. So I expect him to do that. I also expect him to go figure out what he's going to do in right field, and that's probably going to be something outside the organization, and it might be acquired within a trade. And did you notice that after he said that Oscar Colas needs more seasoning down in the minors? Well, talking about the fact that he's a talent, because what if somebody would actually trade for him? He, he, Oscar Colas left the team that he was playing on in the fall, like within 24 hours? And like made yeah. a statement that he was going to work towards being on the opening day roster because because he heard through the press that his GM ain't doesn't have him in the plans. He ain't in there. He's like so so. I mean, like I like that from the GM. We talked about him needing to be heartless. He is. He's sitting there saying like, look, I don't like this team. The, the, these guys aren't very good. I'm not really beholden to any of these minor league guys. I don't think all these guys are ready to go yet. I've got these problems here. I've got some money I could spend, and what I can fix immediately is defense because it's cheap. Right. So I'm going to go out and do that. So that's what I expect him to do, and then I expect him to go into the pitching market. And it's interesting because I think he's going to acquire pitchers, but I also think that when you look at this talk around Dylan Cease, he's gonna he might move him at a high value knowing that he's not going to be able to keep him in a couple of years when he becomes a free agent as a Boros client and get something back for him. He might move him in this non-competitive year and acquire other pitching that's long-term and kind of wait until somebody misses out on something and now is willing to pay his price for Dylan Cease. Well, and, and also we've talked about Dylan Cease needing to take it out of their step because if Cease is going to be treated like an ace, paid like an ace eventually, and talked about as an ace – then he's got to go more than four and two thirds. Sometimes he's got to go, you know, he's got to show us that he can when the when things are hitting fans, when 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 feces meets fan, that that Dylan Cease can actually sit there and take a game and say, I'm going to go seven eight innings. I'm going to take this thing down to the best of what we have in our bullpen, or I'm just going to I'm just going to own this game. And when have you ever really seen Dylan Cease do that? You 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 watch him get through six innings at best. And then it's a problem. And I'm not. I'm not saying Dylan Cease isn't a talent. I'm not saying Dylan Cease isn't. You know, the, the doesn't have the best stuff on the team, or or shouldn't have been considered in the Cy Young Award not last year, but the year before. But if somebody's looking at Dylan Cease, going, "Oh my goodness, think of what we could do with him in the middle or towards the top of our rotation next year when we're competing," and they're willing to give you something of great importance, okay, in return. 
Um, not throwing. I don't want to play trade guy, but no, I hate that, that because you you got to find a partner and you got to hope that they're into it. It's very hard to predicting trades is uh, that's why I, we I don't try to predict stay a trade. From but it. for example, yeah. though, if the Rangers were to sit there, were Justin Foskey their top prospect, a second baseman, a guy that by all means should should hit, should be a good fielder and everything. Yeah. If he's the highlight of a package back for Dylan Cease, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because what are the Rangers going to try and do next year? They're going to try and win again, right? And they're going to try and do it without counting on Jacob DeGrom and without counting on Max Scherzer. So, you know, maybe there's a there's there's a dance partner out there for, for Dylan Cease. There's probably a lot of them. And if I'm and you might Getz, also you might also see pitcher-for-pitcher pitcher trade. Oh, yeah. That includes Moncada in the package to get rid of his money. Cease and takes on, back, Cease takes back on, money that, that right. is the dead money on the other side, yeah. Right, Cease who's on a low-cost contract with Moncada next to him to a team that has a higher-cost pitcher that you feel that you'll have on your team for a couple years, like maybe even like a reclamation project like like uh, Alex Manoa from the Blue Jays. Like, I mean, oh, that, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like where you sit there and say, we think we can fix this guy. And you know, and, and it's multiple players. I'm not saying it's those two for one, but I it like no, 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 not but, not that, that trade would be terrible. But it would be <laughs> interesting to see him get creative at this point. I mean, this is the most fascinating thing when you have a new general manager who has no ties to anybody in the organization because he could sit there and say it wasn't me who put that guy in that position. It wasn't me that elevated that player. It wasn't me that promised you he was going to be good. It wasn't me that gave him the the contract. He can go out and be as creative as he wants to and not be afraid to pull the trigger on trades. I'm predicting it right now. Get ready. This is going to be the most tradey offseason you've seen in a while for the Chicago White Sox. Trady? Good word. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.